0: Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment.
1: Well, we say a good morning. Sometimes you and I, behind the scenes, and I'm glad I don't have the cameras rolling all the time, we get to talking and forget the business of the day, don't we? Good morning, Doctor. Good History. morning,
0: Zeb. How are you? I'm good. A little cold wind out there today, but hey, it's it's spring. We're all right.
1: Yeah. What well, last week we talked about where I was actually in Arizona, right? And Scott, uh, I wanted to find out where we headed this
0: week. We're going to go to Texas. Oh my goodness! All what right. part? Well, you'll you'll just have to listen because well, we're going to we're going to start in Texas. Okay. Let me put it that way. How's all that? Right. All right. Okay. <clears throat> So the great cattle drives from Texas north, you know, across the plains produced one of the nation's most enduring or endearing folk heroes the cowboy.
1: Yeah, the birth With of the cowboy. Himself, his
0: sombrero, his yep. lariat, mounted on a half-broke Mustang that probably half the time bucked him off. Which weren't half-broke most of the time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you know, in the era of the long drive from the 1860s to the 1890s, the cowboy was a legendary figure. I mean, a glamorous guy. And, and still is today. Yes, yeah. You know what? You I bet. mean,
1: I learned this when I did the Olympics in 1996. The American cowboy, the cowboy hat in the boots and everything is revered and everybody wants to be around a cowboy
0: oh yeah Why wouldn't you? I mean, you know. But, you know, trailing cattle was not new, actually. Uh, Americans had, quote, walked cattle to market for more than two centuries. Although the herds were small, they were easily handed by men on foot. A boy led a belled ox down the road, and the cattle followed. In other words, folks, a a belled ox would be uh, an ox with a bell around his neck. A few men on foot brought up the rear to keep them from straying, and uh, they traveled through farming country and placed the cattle in fenced pastures each night. There was no need for night herding, no danger of stampedes. Uh, Fat cattle had been walked from Springfield, Massachusetts to Boston as early as the 1650s. By the early 19th century, cattle were regularly driven from the Ohio Valley to markets as far away as New York City. So again, you think of that, there's nothing really glamorous or captivating about these early cattle drives or the the men that made them. It wasn't really all that exciting. But you know, as the hide hunters decimated the buffalo herds in the next decade, there were millions of Longhorns from South Texas that would take their places. Now, other cattle entered the Northern Plains from Oregon and Utah, and, you know, farm cattle were shipped from states east of the Mississippi River, and the brief era of the open range and the free grass generated probably the greatest cattle boom in world history. So, As we get into this, you know, the age of the great cattle drives was one where there's a lot of changes in American life. And
1: and it was really a short
0: period of time. It it really was. Uh, Now, Eastern factories developed or enlarged during the Civil War, they supported a growing population and contributed to the demand for beef. More and more people wanted beef. Now, the railroad is pushing west, across the plains. They eventually provided transportation for the live cattle to the packing plants in Chicago, St. Louis, and then once they got refrigerated rail cars... Uh, and ships introduced, uh, then the dressed beef cattle could be uh, hauled really across the Atlantic uh, in the 1870s. When did that start? Do you know? About the 1870s is what it says. Refrigerated? Yeah. Uh, I it didn't know that. Kind of surprised that. me. Yeah. yeah. But the invention that had the most revolutionary impact on the cattle kingdom was the barbed wire, mm-hmm. and us folks out here we call it bobbed. And it would it caused a lot and of did. trouble. It was actually invented in the 1870s, and in 1876, uh, one of the skeptical Texas cowmen in San Antonio uh, he wondered if uh, if that wire would hold the the Longhorns. Yeah, you know, would it really hold them in? Well, anyway, uh, after it, that age of the pioneer cowman was kind of doomed, the wise cowmen began buying land by the section and enclosing it with barbed wire. And the severe drought of 1883 forced many cowmen to seek other grass and water. Uh, When they found fences in their way, they got kind of mad about that. And there, there was actually a fence war that raged off and on for several years before the Texas Rangers put an end to fence cutting.
1: Yeah. Now, let me ask you, most states back in, and territories back in the 1860s and 70s, whether it was Kansas or whether it was Wyoming or Texas or whatever, there were a lot of battles fought over there. There
0: was, yeah. In fact, in 1879, fencing became a problem in Wyoming for the big outfits. Uh, in 1883, the Secretary of the Interior authorized settlers, now get this, Ed, settlers, to destroy fences that were in their way to land that they wanted to homestead.
1: And that caused a Even lot of problems. more problems. Yeah? yeah, really.
0: And two years later, Congress outlawed fences on federal lands, and President Grover Cleveland ordered them removed. I, uh, kind of a, I don't quite understand that, but yeah. the northern ranchers gradually purchased and fenced the ranges, although the free grass era lasted longer in parts of Montana. I mean, you know, you've been through Montana, big, big sky country, obviously. But the six-shooter and the repeating rifle were inventions that helped convert the central and northern grasslands from the buffalo range of the Plains Indians to a major part of the cattle kingdom because of killing off the buffalo. Right. So... Anyway, the rapid spread of the cattle ranges occurred as millions of surplus animals were herded north from Texas. Uh, The oldest of the northern routes was the Shawnee Trail from San Antonio past Austin, Waco, and Dallas. Mm -hmm. Now, the routes which followed most of the stock cattle reached the northern ranges uh, were on the Chisholm Trail to Central Kansas and the later Western Trail to Dog City. And of all the Texas cattle routes, the Chisholm Trail was the most used and by far the the best known. And its name, and now this may surprise some people, its name came from Scott Cherokee Indian trader Jesse Chisholm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. who
0: in 1865 began hauling trade goods in wagons from his post near the future side of Wichita, Kansas, to Indian camps about 220 miles to the south. And other parts of the trail were at first called by various names, but uh, Texas Trailmen soon applied Chisholm's name to the entire route from San Antonio to Abilene and later Kansas shipping points. I have a question.
1: Okay. How many times during the course of the year, because of the weather, could they have trail drives on any respective trail and the reason i asked that question to you is that the first one that gets a chance to go gets all the grass exactly and the damage left by when you've got four or five thousand head of cattle you're going to have a lot of uh, damage to the the grass etc and how long how many times during the course of the year could herds go up these respective trails i'm thinking i've heard more than no more than three
0: i I would guess i i'm gonna say two of most of the time, yeah. maybe three. But I'm going, to give, I'm going to give you folks a map of the trails, okay? So we're going to start, uh, if you can picture in your mind, central United States, starting in Texas. Okay, the first trail I'm going to mention is the Goodnight Loving Trail. Yeah. All right? Now Charlie it's Goodnight. It started in uh, Fort Worth. It went west up through New Mexico and north to Denver. And actually, that was the shortest one. Okay, the next one was what they called the Western Trail. It started in San Antonio, went north through Kansas, Nebraska, eastern Wyoming, uh, to Miles City, Montana. And that actually was the longest one. Well, no, okay. uh, Okay, let let me, there's two more. Okay, now the Chisholm Trail also started in San Antonio, and it went north through Fort Worth to Kansas, Abilene, and up to Ellsworth. Okay, now the fourth trail is called the Shawnee Trail. Mm -hmm. Now, it also started in San Antonio, went up to Dallas, up to Kansas City, Quincy, Illinois, uh, and on up to St. Louis. So there were really four main trails. But, uh, you know, all the major trails were broad and general. And, you know, we picture these narrow lanes. And what you just mentioned, uh, they spread out over a long distance to have the feed and the water. That's right. And also what is not mentioned on on my map here is that there were a lot of what they call feeder trails. Mm -hmm. In other words, you might have some coming from up in Mexico, the east or west, and they'll join up with these trails. And, and go on up through the same trail. Well,
1: See, a lot of the problems that happen on trail drives in the Old West with the cattle also were incurred by people on the Oregon Trail moving to Oregon because they couldn't find the forage
0: for their livestock after another party had already preceded them. Exactly. That's exactly right, yeah. Now, when only a few herds were following a the trail, they usually found enough forage close by, but like you said, with many herds uh, on the move during the season, the later ones had to travel parallel to the tracks of the yeah. early ones, Yep. to be able to find enough uh, grass. And then the drying up of str- streams and water holes, this also caused variations in the route. Because if you probably had a guide out in front of you, and if the stream or river was uh, dried up, you'd have to head either east or west to try to get to cattle. And you're talking
1: about maybe four or 5,000 head of the most obnoxious exactly. cattle ever on the face of the earth.
0: Yeah. Now, the Chisholm Trail was widely known by name, and the name was often applied kind of indiscriminately to any route cattle might follow out of Texas. Oh, really? Yeah. But most of the men who used the trail probably had never heard of Jesse Chisholm or his wagon road. Many thought it was named after the Texan John Chisholm, and that's a name that is more widely known. And but uh, and he tra- he did trail cattle to New Mexico, and some people even today restrict the use of the name Chisholm to the part of the trail that he actually used. So there's a little. Discrepancy there, but no one really knows after all uh, how the Shawnee Trail got its name. But for two decades, trail bosses, cooks, and cowboys followed the Longhorns up the Chisholm Trail, unaware they were creating a quote legendary west that would long outlive the open range in the cattle kingdom. But you know, the Texas Texas had been a land of cattle and horses ever since the Spaniards came in the seventeenth century. So Texas was a big cattle area for yeah. a lot for you know, a couple of hundred years. Yep. And the Anglo Americans arriving in Texas after eighteen hundred actually found thousands of Spanish cattle and wild horses just roaming. Right. Uh, free. And the Anglos also brought livestock, which mixed with the native stock to produce the longhorns of South Texas. So they're kind of a mixed breed, really. But the Longhorns were, you know, they were robust, many colors, uh, black, red, roan, white, yellow, and various combinations. And all
1: dangerous.
0: <laughs> they were. You know, they were what, what they say, long of leg and hard of hoof, Yeah. which was perfectly adapted to the region. They were able to travel for grass and water. They were able to defend themselves against predators, which sometimes involved a cowboy on foot. That's right. They had developed an immunity to the tick fever that proved fatal to other cattle, but unfortunately, they carried the ticks wherever mm-hmm. they went. Yeah. So the longhorns of the brush country were uh, as wild or more difficult to stock and kill than deer or buffalo, and they roamed in scattered bands. Or... Weren't there
1: a lot of the uh, settlers along the trails uh, that absolutely almost came to violence to stop the cattle from getting anywhere near their property oh, yeah. because of the spread of the ticks?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. And they were sometimes quarantined yeah. to not yeah. come into certain areas. Yeah. Now, not all Texas cattle were Longhorns, uh, nor were all immune to the tick fever. The cattle of Central and North Texas, which were a mixture of actually short horns that were brought from the East or South and uh, uh, mixed with the native or Spanish stock, and they were susceptible to the disease. And like the Longhorns, they easily became wild and difficult to handle, even dangerous. And Anglos actually brought thoroughbreds and quarter horses, uh, and both were crossed with little Mustang mares to produce these larger and faster cow horses. Mm-hmm. You know, a quarter horse, I mean, today we think of the quarter horse as the real cow horse, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, for many years, however, the Mustang cow pony, uh, cow pony and the Longhorn were inseparable elements of the Texas cattle industry. And and together they made the era of the long drives possible. Now, so let's head after the Civil War, okay? Texas was the source of cattle. Now, before the war, and I didn't realize this, Zeb, but there were five civilized tribes of Indian uh, territory that raised and exported thousands of cattle to states to the north and the east. Uh, The Cherokee, the Choctaw, the Chickasaws, the Creeks, and the Seminoles had learned open range uh, racing and trailing livestock Mm -hmm. to the southern frontier. So I don't think people realize that Cattle drives actually may have even really started with. The, with I think these I read a book. I'm
1: trying to look here on my shelves right now about a book that was written about the Indian nations that actually knew more and had started uh, the cattle business more so than what we know of it coming out of Texas. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: But the the cattle the tribes brought to Indian Territory were a penalty of good quality, and according to uh, people at the time, they said they were uh, good, they uh, attained a good size, they were a good beef animal. Now, by 1847, a regular trade had developed with buyers from Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana, and during the Civil War, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, looting of the herds of the Indian Territory, the depleted herds were gradually rebuilt after the war to about seven hundred thousand in 1884. So the herds just kept growing bigger and bigger. But anyway, the Spaniards had trailed Texas uh, Texas cattle to Louisiana and northern Mexico in the actually in the 1700s. So clear back then there were there were cattle drives by the Spaniards. Yeah. Now, in the 1830s, the Anglo cowmen drove small herds to New Orleans, and in the following decade, they trailed cattle to Missouri, Ohio, and a lot of people don't think of this, but actually over to California. And uh, actually, Zeb, right here where we are... I was going to say,
1: we're a part of that.
0: Yes, right through here along the Snake River, Yeah, there were cattle drives that went from here yep. over to... Yep. Uh, uh, over into the Oregon
1: area Uh, you know one thing I was going to mention and I don't want to take a lot of time is one of the best movies that typifies uh, and shows what the life was on the cattle drive was a movie that was simply titled Cowboy and it starred Glenn Ford and Jack Lemmon and that went
0: all the way up to the Chicago Stockyards very good movie uh, you know, by 1842, uh, many men drove herds across the Indian Territory for sale to the army contractors who supplied the forts. Uh, they were fairly profitable years for some of the Texas cowmen. What were the cattle worth then? Um, they weren't. It, it depends, because there were sometimes uh, they weren't worth anything uh, because there were too many of them. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly how but much. When they, they got.
1: sold them for beef, I mean the prices I
0: weren't enormous. Say like seventeen dollars a head, really? Yeah, fifteen to seventeen. Yeah, but uh, by the early 1850s, the Texans trailed Arkansas, like say all the way to Iowa. Hundreds of Longhorn steers were sold to freighters and farmers, actually, to be worked as oxen. You know, if you were a farmer, a homesteader, uh, a good oxen, a, a good or two teams of oxen was pretty important.
1: Yeah, go ahead and train them.
0: Yes. (laughs) I had an uncle that did that. (laughs) He actually had to train two of them. But uh, anyway, Kansas City became a market for Texas beef, and some Texas cattle were trailed onto Chicago. Uh, The Texans also trailed cattle to the California mining regions. Yeah. And in 1856, near San Antonio, a herd of 400 steers heading west under a crew of 25 men, all mounted on, get this, Zeb, all mounted on mules, okay? Huh. Okay. Now, most of the riders were working for their keep and transportation to get out to the gold fields. Uh, there were five or six months on the trail, but a steer, costing $14 in Texas, brought $100 in California. Whoa, so they wanted their beef. Yeah, yeah. So in the early days of the cattle trailing, oxen hauled, carts or wagons that carried the bedding, the supplies, cornmeal, bacon. If an ox went lame, the men roped a steer or yoked it to the wagon. Uh, But that was fun. The food supplied was never adequate, and the men usually had nothing to eat but beef.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, do you know who designed the first chuck wagon?
0: I want to say Loving? or No, Charlie Goodnight. Goodnight, yeah. Charlie Goodnight. You know, before the Civil War, most trail herds numbered only a few hundred cattle with four riders for each 100 cattle. Uh, The men usually had only two or three horses apiece, and these were often thin, sore-backed. And before the drive ended, these horses were, uh, you know, about shot, really. And without tents or raincoats, the cowboys were at the mercy of the elements day and night. I mean, it was not a it was not a glamorous the four or five months, you know. Yeah. But the Shawnee Trail became hazardous for uh, uh, trailmen and their herds even before the Civil War, uh, because of an outbreak of the Texas Fever mm-hmm. in Missouri, killed thousands of cattle. That's right. And the, here's something a little interesting: the disease was correctly attributed to the arrival of the Longhorns from Texas, but the trouble was blamed on the Longhorns. Breath, okay? They thought that the breathing of the longhorns infected the cattle uh, rather than on the ticks that carried the disease. So the Missouri legislature banned Texas cattle, and Missouri farmers turned back tax- Texas herds yeah. the next year. Yeah. But it was, it was the disease that, that was carried by a tick. So... Uh, when the trailing cattle resumed after the Civil War, some Anglo cattlemen were not particularly particular about those animals that were in the herds, and uh, rustlers became active as the value of cattle rose. And on one occasion, some uh, northwest Tex- Texas cowmen caught up with a thief who was driving off their cattle, and they ate supper with him and then announced that they were intended to hang him. Now, I'm just going to finish with this little quote, all right? Go yeah. ahead. So they're going to hang this guy. Okay, got the picture. He's, he's a thief. And so here's what he says. Boys, he said, I'll not argue with you. I'll not deny my guilt or ask for mercy. You know me and I know you. I want at least one honest man to have a part in my hanging. Now I want the one of you who never stole a cow to step forward and put the noose around my head. A moment of shocked silence followed then laughter. They let him go with the warning. Other cow thieves did not get off so lightly when caught, but most were never apprehended.
1: There you go. We have a caller with a quick question. Okay, Caller, it's got to be short. I've only got about a minute left. Go ahead. Well, it's not a question. My, uh, this is Dick Anderson at Albion. My granddad came up the, one of those trails for a fellow named John Day, and they trailed a bunch of, they were yearling heifers when they started. To John Day, Oregon, in uh, it would have been eighteen seventy four. Wow! And and they wintered right right here somewhere close along the river the first year, and then went on to John Day the next year. You know, we ought to do, and I thank you for your call. Good to hear from you, my friend. And we'll do a little research. I'd like to do more on the cattle drives that went through this country, Doctor. You no, know, I really
0: didn't get through this. So I, we're, we're going to do another part on the You know, I appreciate his sale.
1: calling because, you know, there's so much that we overlook. Idaho had a lot of trail drives going through it. Why don't we uh, finish with this next week and maybe even elaborate a little bit on it, talking about the chuck wagons, talking about the gear the Cowboys had back in those days, and uh, I think
0: it would be interesting. Okay, yeah, we'll continue with the cattle drives well, that's, next week. That's next. all that I know
1: about my granddad, he did come back here and become sheriff. He's the one that went and got Diamond Field Jack. That's right. In Arizona. Well, I tell you, sir, thank you very much. Good to hear from you. God bless you. I'm out of time, so i got to run, but call again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Right. You know, that's interesting. We've got people that live here that know the history, yeah. and, and that yeah. what makes the program even more interesting. i got to run. You. Thank you. Excellent job.
0: Thank you, Zach. All right.